Hello, I'm Rachel Webb, and I'm the host of the podcast She Leads Change, a space to explore ideas around affecting change, stepping into our power, leading from within, and all the challenges that we face along the way. Today, I'm speaking to Marcia Asari, the group lead for social and corporate responsibility at City and Guilds and member of the She Leads Change alumni. We'll be talking about diversity in the workplace and why it's so important for places of employment to work at creating spaces that are safe enough for everyone's voice to be heard. There's something so considered in the way that Marcia speaks that I found really powerful during our conversation, and I hope you enjoy listening. So hello, Marcia. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. So what I wanted to discuss with you today is your place of work and how you feel that you're able to show up as your whole authentic self while you're there and why it's important for you to do that. So can we get a little introduction to you and who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I lead on City and Guilds' work around corporate social responsibility. I've been doing that role, working with them for about eight years. I'm involved in lots of other things outside of work, so I'm also a magistrate. I'm also a trustee of a grant-giving organisation called Global uh, Make Some Noise. And I am a mum to uh, two very fun but full-on children, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I think for most of my life, I've shown up to work as a professional. And in my head, you know, when I say that word professional, that professional wasn't really me. So I was there. Um, You know, I talk a lot about at work, I have a work uniform, which is a dress and a jacket. So I was there in my dress and my jacket, looking like someone who was there ready to do business. But in terms of being my whole self, I think I was probably really removed from that and and almost I think for many years I think I probably actively tried to not be my whole self you know I was trying to be this notion of the profession which is not warts and all Marcia so yeah so really really struggled to kind of find me in that but probably over the last eight years that's a path I've been on really actively trying to find me and then to bring me into those spaces, whether that's in this context, we're talking about works, that's in work, but also into my other professional settings. Let's just talk about the professional you for a minute then. What did that look like and where do you think that image came from? So I think sometimes it's culture. I am a black British woman that grew up in London. I think when I was growing up, you know, there was almost a sense of when you go to work, you've got to be different you've got to do better and you've got to be different and that different um I think in my mind I always took that to mean a different me I couldn't be the me that I am with my family and with my friends a really really good example of that was when I was doing my master's about six six or so years ago if I could think of the me then before I'd started doing this work, I would say I was pretty poker face. Now, it was a nice, smiley, engaging poker face, but it was a me that you often didn't know anything about, so I wouldn't really share much about myself. I would always stay in what felt like safe territory, you know, would be about the work and about the business. You could be sure you'd get some good work out of me, but I would almost always be holding back. I think that's probably 
how I'd describe it. And I think about, I don't know why this comes to mind, but we had a team meeting. I had an American boss who was really very non-hierarchical. And, you know, one of her her kind of fingerprints was, I think, around culture. And the type of culture that I think she was trying to create for the business, but ultimately that she really did create for the team. And we we had a team meeting where we were, over a period of time, all sharing information about ourself in the team meeting so people would come with almost like a slideshow just talking about their lives and things that mattered to them funny things silly things sad and emotional things and I used that team meeting to practice a speech that I was writing for work now whilst there might have been tiny bits of me littered in the speech I think at one point uh, there was a joke that I used to always make which was yes I am a Christian but I'm not going to sprinkle you with holy water or something you know so there was these tiny little things like that in there but actually I still didn't allow myself to share so people shared where they went to school who their mates were the things that influenced them the music they were listening to things that were meaningful to them and I used that time I didn't feel I could express that me and that really I think says a lot because if I had that exact opportunity now it would be so different I would share so many different things and we would laugh together and share together and if I gave that speech now I think it would be a really powerful moment of really giving myself and stepping into the space which I didn't feel able to do then. I'd just like to pick up on two things you said there so one of them was that you didn't allow yourself to be your full self and then the other thing you said was you didn't feel that you could that the space wasn't there for you to do that so Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about that a little bit because Mm -hmm. we were going to speak about safe spaces and Mm. how important it is to be able to create a safe space at work Mm. to allow people to really be their authentic selves and show everyone that they're working with you know who they really are Mm. so for me in the two years that I did my master's I felt like there was a whole lot of unlearning and relearning that took place probably one of the best things that came out of those two years was a sense of self and, and like, so we're on this call and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking we're, we're two women. Like before we share anything about ourselves, we're already connected. And that's probably how I feel in most contexts is I'm always, I always feel like there's a way to connect with who I am. But I spent a lot of time feeling that I could not share and connect. And a lot of that was around what for me felt like cultural and societal norms as a black woman in the workplace, what is acceptable and permissible, what is allowed and what is not allowed. Watching other black women when I was a young woman coming in the workplace and how they were at times characterised. You couldn't be annoyed or furious because if you were annoyed or furious, you crossed over into angry black women. You could not allow that to happen. So if you think about that, And then you think about the spectrum. So if you can't be annoyed or furious black woman, does that mean you also can't be really happy black woman? Does that mean, you know, you can't have a whole range and spectrum of emotions because of how people may react to you? Oh, you're too aggressive. You're too direct. No, not not that you're ambitious or not that you're, oh, no, we want to hear your voice in the room. In, In my sense and my experience, some of that was about kind of society and 
the world I'd grown up in and what I thought was acceptable and not acceptable. But I also have to say for me personally, some of that was about my sense of myself in the world. And probably the huge turning point that I had started to make in those two years of study was around actually a value and a voice. So it's interesting that at the the beginning of, of my period of study, the very first thing I wrote about was voice. And, and, and I remember that because I know that is something that has been a constant thing in my life that is important, the sense of voice. And I think as I started to, to write about voice and understand voice and appreciate the voice of others, slowly I started to have a sense of my own voice and the importance of my voice being in the room and used positively and almost a sense that in any context we need to hear everybody's voice and now I cannot imagine coming into a room not being my whole self so I perhaps don't police myself in the same way I share when I'm happy I share when I'm sad I don't worry about if you're thinking if I'm an angry black woman or because I think if I'm happy or sad or angry you're just thinking she's just happy or sad or angry (laughs) and these are normal emotions and tomorrow she'll probably be fine but there is also for me from I'm talking from my personal perspective a sense of feeling able to take up space. Can you talk a little bit about the angry black woman stereotype? The thing about I think that stereotype is it's like a lot of things when you start to look at what is this about and where is this coming from so I had watched women before me in the workplace almost fall into kind of categories and be characterised The black women that I could see often were marginalised, pushed to the side kind of not appreciated and then there was definitely a sense of not being able to really come to the table because as soon as you really come to the table and as soon as you really show up you risk being exposed and that exposure often in a lot of cases meant you might lose your job or you know you might be disciplined because you were aggressive or you were not engaging It's really interesting because I feel like I've spent most of my life, particularly growing up in London, not really thinking about race, not really thinking about what does discrimination and racism really look like. Now, I have experienced it, but I think I've spent most of my life finding ways around. So when things have happened, you kind of just take it as, oh, yeah, of course, of course, people behave like that. I'm I'm just going to have to go through another door. I'm just going to have to find somebody else. But when I reflect now, I can really see, I mean, if we'd had this conversation five or 10 years ago, I don't even know if I could have spoken about the notion of angry black woman. But now, maybe the space I'm in now, I can see it. I have experienced it. And my experience is, is that, that often it, it, it can be two things. It, yeah, you, can, you might be angry and you might really be annoyed, <laughs> by life and the world and what's happening but also society and culture often really are our foundations that prop up you know those stereotypes and notions that mean you cannot show up as yourself so we spoke about talking about George Floyd's murder because you mentioned this as a sort of trigger point for you specifically in the way that you were engaging with diversity 
And I just wanted to bring it up because, as you mentioned there, there was a time previously when you wouldn't really have been as engaged with topics like diversity as you are now. And you cited George Floyd's murder last year as a sort of turning point for that. So I just wanted to ask you, where were you when you heard about George Floyd's murder and what went through your mind? So the strangest thing about it was when I heard about George Floyd, I I don't know if I was massively shocked. I think that sometimes, you know, you get so used to another person dying and being murdered at the hands of kind of authority. Like like on one hand, it wasn't unusual. So when it happened, you know, I remember I was at home, but I don't remember it being massively in that moment more significant. It was another thing that had happened, another injustice, yet another injustice. I probably thought it was really sad and, and you know, I prayed for his family and, and that was it. But it was a couple of days later which really was a turning point for a whole set of things that have happened since. And a colleague had reached out just saying, you know, ladies, I just don't really get this. I don't really understand this. I don't really know what I can do as a white woman, but I really want to do something. And this kind of started off a whole stream of discussion. And that talking was really the catalyst for me. And then we ended up recording a couple of podcasts work it was a really powerful moment for me because alongside five other women who I didn't really know we ended up just talking and sharing about our experiences of racism and discrimination and how the world needs to change and how how can we not just us five women but how can we as a society start to make those changes and I think that really lit a fire under me. And I and the, the truth is, I don't know why then, why at that time, why George Floyd's death? I, I don't know. I can say that perhaps now as a mother to two children, a girl and a boy, I secretly have thought about what it means to raise a black boy in London. I have thought about the conversations I will need to have with him at some point. And perhaps there was something about that moment which was around, no, the reason why we have to speak up, the reason why we have to be unafraid is because we're doing this not just for now and for today, but we're doing this for those generations who are coming behind us. And if not me, if not you, then who? So can you tell me a bit about how you found yourself engaging with topics of diversity and inclusion since experiencing this shift that you've spoken about? So, wow, lots of different ways from the podcast that we've developed to becoming an IND champion. Something I have never been any time, the last person to join any type of champion network. But I just felt so moved by the need to kind of take responsibility, take some responsibility, do some action. We also have a very active racial equality community support group that I've been really involved in. I've got um, an initiative I'm working on. I don't know when I'm going to get it off the ground because I work full time and I've got two small children, which is around really pulling together stories of racism and, and discrimination, really in the, in the kind of vein of Me Too, with a thinking, so my thinking behind it or my kind of theory of change about it is around often people just don't know it exists. If it shows up, therefore, they may not think it is discrimination or racism. And and just by 
collating some stories perhaps starts to bring together a different debate that isn't just a kind of hot topic debate or a of the moment debate because of what's in the news but actually helps to start to really bring some understanding to what are the behaviours that show up and, and understanding why why are those behaviours showing up? What was thinking behind it? And how, how can we all together address them? Not just me as Marcia, a black woman from way back in North London, but actually how do we all stand together to push water uphill and to change the tide around racism and discrimination in the UK? I really wanted to talk to you about that idea that you had, because I think when you first mentioned it to me, you suggested it might be like a website so people could mm-hmm. submit their own stories, much you know, like in the Me Too movement. Yes. I think that sounds incredible. It sounds like such a powerful idea. So I really hope that runs and runs. Yeah, it's, yeah I'm committed. I'm, I'm, I am going to do it because I think it's really important. And there's something about the space I'm in, in the world right now, where we've all, we've all had our moments of just being blindly ambitious. I have definitely had those moments. <laughs> but actually, as I get older, because I'm, you know, I'm nearly middle-aged, as I get older now, and what with the kids and all that, I think I'm really aware of legacy. We often only think about legacy in the context of having gone to a funeral, right? You go to a funeral, you get really inspired, and you think, oh, I hope I can achieve something like that. But in real terms, actually, my sense of legacy and the need, it's an action orientated. It's about what I can do now, in my life now. What small thing can I do now? So in the context of my work, that's speaking up and being visible. Well, I wanted to ask, you know, going back to what we were speaking about at the start of the conversation, thinking about, you know, moving away from professional Marcia Mm -hmm. into being more of your authentic self. And then more recently, moving more in towards engaging with diversity and really championing with all the work that you're doing at work. How did it feel to be vulnerable and how did other people respond to you? You know what, I, I think the number one feeling that comes to mind is freedom. A freedom to just show up and be. I've come as I am. For me, the thing about coming as I am is so freeing because if I think about a context of a one-to-one or a meeting, if you're spending the time policing yourself, you are not in the meeting. <laughs> We are physically in the same space. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and words are coming out of my mouth and words are coming out of your mouth. But I'm not in the meeting because I am policing myself. I'm thinking about not sleeping. I'm thinking about, I don't know, dinner. I'm I'm thinking about all of these different things because all of that stuff is taking up space. But the thing about being able to kind of come as I am so in contexts where like Sheely's Change, we have our check-in, right? Which I just love. I miss Sheely's Change so much. But the check-in allows you to come as you are and say, okay, so this is how I am. This is where I'm at right now. I've said it now. And I'm now going to just put that down for a minute. And now I'm going to be with you. So when I can come and be real, I can come and have two minutes to just say, the day's been awful. I'm so tired. I, I'm not coping. It's dreadful. The world's falling apart. And then I can kind of put that to the side, take a deep breath, and then we can talk about work. So there is something really empowering about that. There's a sense of self-management and self-control, a sense of the world isn't doing this to me. My children aren't doing this to me. No, circumstances are there. 
but I still have some semblance of control around who I am, who I want to be in this moment and how I want to show up. Yeah, thank you for that. That was a really beautifully put. And I actually just wanted to ask one more thing. You know, it sounds like um, City and Gills is a really positive and sort of proactive place to work in, in terms of diversity as we're talking about today. So I wanted to ask you about what you've found helpful and unhelpful in the last 12 months while you've been having these conversations in order to try and keep those safe spaces. What's probably been most helpful is I see a real turning point and a real activation of voice amongst all of my colleagues. And that is wonderful. It's refreshing. I'm loving the opportunity to get to understand and know people and, you know, work out how can we connect? What can we connect on? Who are you really? Because none of us are just a number or a name tapping on the keyboard. We're all real people. We're all human beings. We all have lives. We all have things going on. And we all want to be heard. We all secretly want to be heard. And I don't mean that in terms of we all want to have a loud voice in the room. But I mean, we want our voice to be visible. And there's something that happens when you get that blending of lots of voices that you just get new perspective, new ways of doing things. And I really do see it as a differentiator in terms of business. I I really, really do see that. So what's been most helpful in our culture is what are the things I've seen? I've seen a real shift, a real encouragement in the culture for people to come as they are. We have had a whole range of community groups spring up that are really active. I want to say they're radical. They're not radical. They're just really active. They are like, in my head, I think they're the voice of the people, but they are active and they're passionate. They're passionate about the area, community or characteristic that they are, they're advocating for and they're passionate about the business. And those two things together are just, for me, they're special, they're a beauty. So as well as seeing this kind of grassroots voice rising up, I see a senior leadership that is not afraid to step up and speak out. And often, you know, when we talk about cultural behaviours and norms and structures that systematically hold racism and discrimination in, in place, we cannot pretend that power does not play a role in that. So I see our senior structures really, really challenging themselves, really challenging each other to stand up and speak out. And I've just been so proud to see the organisation say, yes, we know we've got to get behind this. We know we've got to, we want to be a more diverse organisation. We want to be more inclusive. We want you to feel like you belong. And this is your home from home. And all part of that is your voice, that activation of your voice. We want to support that in this business. I think that's a really, really lovely place to end. Before we signed off, I really want to know what would the Marcia from now bring to that presentation that you told us about at the beginning? Oh, wow. I talk about so many fun things. I would. So now people who know me now, right, they often think, right, it depends on what context you know me in, but often I think sometimes people think I'm middle-aged woman. I go to church. I'm, I'm a good person. But I would tell them about the days of when I used to go to raves and to the dance halls in the back streets of London in my sequined dress <laughs> and my short shorts. I would tell them about when I did my, my gap year in Botswana 
and how that changed my world and view being in a world and just seeing lots of black people and black people in charge and seeing that it wasn't chaos and people weren't starving, how that really informed what I went on to do. I would tell them about the things I'm passionate about. I'd, I'd say to them, look, I'm a magistrate. It's really boring on one hand, but it's so important. I love being there. You know, I'm a, I sit on a bench, a huge bench now, but when I joined my bench of 300 in, in the city of London, I was one of a handful of people of colour. So, you know, I would, I would talk to them about all the things I love. Uh, uh, the other thing I didn't even get to talk about is systems change. I love talking mm. about systems change. I love talking about systems change in the context of funding. I would tell them that and so, so much more. I would tell them that I love gospel reggae and gospel merengue. <laughs> There's so many things I would tell them. And I love red wine, <laughs> which I'm not <laughs> drinking at the moment. <laughs> Oh, Marcia, thank you so much. I wish I'd asked you that right at the beginning because I feel so much more connected to you just after hearing all of that. Thank you so much. And also, luckily for me, we do have a podcast coming up on systems. So I'm going to get you back in to talk about that. Really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, please do leave a rating or a review. You can get in touch with me at sheleadschangepodcast at gmail.com. And I'll see you next month when I'll be speaking to Katie Stockdale, the owner of a female-focused wellness cafe in East London, all about resilience, especially in the face of the pandemic. See you all then. Mm-hmm.